0: I can't recall the last time it ain't no team got so little respect. Yes, you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That front gets pressure, collapses the pocket and wrecks quarterbacks.
1: Fanatic Podcast with Nick and Marco.
0: This is episode nine of the Faithful Fanatic Podcast. We're getting ready to preview the 49ers week five playoff matchup against the Dolphins. And if you were to tell me at any point before the regular season kicked off that the 49ers would be fighting for their season... In a week five matchup against the Dolphins, there's just no way that I would have believed you. And the reason this team is in the position they're in right now is because they've been hit so hard by the injury bug where you've had Jimmy Garoppolo out, Nick Bose is out for the year, D Ford, Richard Sherman, Raheem Mostert, George Kittle miss time. Marco, do you agree with my assessment that the 49ers are facing a playoff game in the month of October?
1: Yeah, pretty much it is a playoff game because if you lose, you go to two and three and to to make the playoffs as a wild card now that they're looking for a wild card because they're going to be behind the most likely the Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. So you're an uphill battle. So it's a must-win game.
0: Even with the additional seventh playoff spot, now seven teams get to make the playoffs. Whereas in years past, it's always been six. They added that seventh wild card, or that third wild card, so seven teams make the playoffs, excuse me, but losing this game to the Dolphins, and the Dolphins are a tough team. They're a scrappy team. You go back over the course of the last several years, they beat the Patriots at least once over the course of the last three years. They played three playoff teams this year already, in the Bills, the Seahawks, the Patriots, and they played each of those teams extremely tough and kept it within 10 points or less. So this game against the Dolphins is by no means a cakewalk. The Dolphins are going to be up for the challenge. And why this game is so significant, in my opinion, is because what comes after the Dolphins? It's unfortunate enough that the best the 49ers can do going into the week six game against the Rams is with a 3-2 and record. Ideally, you'd like to be 4-1, and 5-0. and That's what the hope was once the schedule was released. But it is what it is. This is a must-win game for the 49ers because if you look beyond this week, you have the Rams, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Saints, the Rams again, and then the Bills. It's very reminiscent to the stretch the team had last year where they played the Packers and the Ravens and the Saints and the Seahawks and the Falcons and Rams. Of course, Not necessarily in that order, but over a six-week stretch. This is a gauntlet coming up after the Dolphins game, and they absolutely need to take care of business this week. Starting quarterback wise, Garoppolo practiced on Wednesday. He practiced today with today being Thursday was limited, but it's an encouraging sign that he should be able to go on Sunday. So if he's not fully healthy, if Garoppolo not hundred percent healthy, would you start him?
1: Yeah, he it's a must start for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, He sat out two weeks. He's jogging around on that ankle. So that shows me he's capable of moving around and being mobile. Um, Not going to be the mobile soft that he normally is. But I think he's healthy enough to play. And I think he's going to play. I think he's going to start for the 49ers. And I think he's going to have a good performance. Um, I think he's going to pick up where he left off against um, the Jets. And I think he's finally going to have an arsenal of weapons. He's going to have Debo Samuel back. He gets Kittle And he has Brandon Ayuk. Raheem Mostert might be going, so he's going to have all his weapons. So it's going to be a good thing to see Jimmy Garoppolo come back and have weapons he could rely on instead of having to do it all on his own.
0: Absolutely. And I think this is the predicament that Kyle Shanahan finds himself in. He has two options. He can play Garoppolo this weekend, who may not be 100%. You might see Garoppolo hobbling around a little bit, indicating that he's around 80, 85%. And if you play him, you risk the chance of re-aggravating his injury, his high ankle sprain, or even worsening it. So let's say you risk playing Garoppolo, the 49ers win or lose, and then Garoppolo gets hurt and misses more games. Well, you can kiss the revenge tour goodbye if that's the case because I don't see how Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard lead the 49ers through their stretch of upcoming games like I just talked about with the Rams, Patriots, and Seahawks being the first three. And then on the other side, if you roll the dice and start Mullins or CJ Beathard and keep Garoppolo, who's close but not quite ready to start on the sideline, don't play him, you risk losing to the Dolphins. And then when Garoppolo's healthy, you're behind the eight ball because instead of potentially being three and two, you're two and three. And not just necessarily for Jimmy Garoppolo, but for any quarterback in the NFL, it's going to be extremely tough to lead a two and three football team through that seven game stretch the 49ers have where they play mostly playoff teams and get into the playoffs. So I believe it's the right call going into this game to let it all ride on Jimmy Garoppolo if he's 80% healthy. And of course, if the doctors are like, no, he's not ready to go, you cannot play him, then you don't play him. But just because he's practicing this week, I feel like if this was a playoff game in January, he could play. And it's a playoff game in October. So the season's on the line right now. Garoppolo needs to, he's tough already as it is, but he needs to be even more tough in this game against the Dolphins. Try his best not to re-aggravate that ankle. I don't know how his mobility is. There was a video from yesterday's practice where it looked like he was kind of limping a little bit after making a pass. And then today he was sprinting, looked good. So we'll see. But the season is on the line, and I prefer the hands, the ball being in the hands of Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's say if Garoppolo can't go after what we saw last Sunday night against the Eagles, if Garoppolo can't go, who are you starting between Mullins and C.J. Beathard? And this is strictly under the circumstance Garoppolo can't play.
1: So if Garoppolo can't play, I have to roll with C.J. Beathard. And the reason behind that is because Nick Mullins' confidence was shocked. Um, during the game, you could see it in his in his eyes. You could see it in his face. And then when right before Kyle pulled him out, Kyle asked him a few questions, and and it, it appeared to to look like Nick Mullins kind of was unaware of what was going on. He was shy to answer the questions, and then he's starting to having he's explaining himself in the media room, explaining what's going on. He's not seeing the field. He doesn't know what's happening or why those balls came out so so weird and why he had a bad day. So for me, that's a confidence issue. You don't, you don't have to explain yourself as you're a quarterback. Oh, I had a bad game. That's it. No, but instead he went on and explained. So I would go with CJ Better because I think he's a better quarterback overall. Um, I think he has more um, arm talent. I think if he is molded like I think he possibly could be, um, his throwing mechanics looked a little bit better on Sunday, last Sunday. Um, he has a beautiful deep ball. And the Miami Dolphins have given up quite a quite a few deep balls. They have given up um, 20 plus d- plays, 20 plus plays. They've given up 17, 40 plus plays. They give up four, uh, four of them. So you could utilize that arm
0: strength and take it over the top with Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. That's a good point. That's a very good point. And I don't want to rain on the CJ Beathard parade because he came in and did great things. Against the Eagles, right after that pick six was thrown by Nick Mullins, you just have this feeling of, oh, great, the game's over. There's nothing that can happen to change that. I felt helpless as a fan watching the game. CJ Beathard steps in with five minutes to go. The 49ers down 11. And in my opinion, he did all you could ask of him, which was put the 49ers in a position to win. The game came down to the final play. And What stood out to me more than CJ Beathard's stat line, because we all saw the same thing. He was playing against the prevent defense where the Eagles are giving him everything underneath. So his completions, his passing yards were a little bit inflated. That's just because he stepped into the game where the 49ers were already down by 11 and the Eagles were in a prevent mode. But I love the way he took control of the offense and looked like he was playing with a sense of urgency. He looked good in that sense. But. Looking at his career through the grand scheme of things, he's a one in nine career starting quarterback. Yes, he quarterbacks some very bad teams, but in 2018, who was the quarterback winning games? It was Nick Mullins. And I know that Mullins had a very rough go Sunday night, but I feel like if Garoppolo can't go, Kyle's going to give him one more chance, start Nick Mullins. And I don't think it ends there though. I think he'll ride the hot hand. And we may see two quarterbacks frequently in the game. Again, this is if Garoppolo can't go. But I'm under the assumption that Garoppolo is going to play. The 49ers are nine-point favorites this game. And Vegas doesn't create the line that high if they don't feel Garoppolo is going to play. So Garoppolo limited. Yesterday in practice, today in practice, we'll see what his status is tomorrow with Friday being the last day to practice with the official injury report coming out. But it seems like the consensus is Garoppolo will play, barring any setbacks tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think Garoppolo 100% plays. Um, there's no way, like you said, Vegas has that that spread that big of a gap yep. for the 49ers and the Miami Dolphins. But I'm going to touch on a little bit of Nick Mullins. Yes, he's 1-9. and nine. Yes, Nick Mullins has a better record. Um, but when I, see Nick, when I see Nick Mullins, I see a quarterback who's very limited. Very limited in what he could do. He relies on his mental abilities, which is extremely great because you could see a lot of times quarterback position needs to be the smartest player on the field. But now you're going to be so smart, but now you're missing throws like he did last week, showing me who he really is. And I hate to say it one game, showed me who he is. But when I turn on the film... He's never had the strong this arm strength. He's never had the precision, accuracy when he's trying to gunsling it. Um, either has CJ Bethard. But the game that jumps out to me is when CJ Bethard played the the Packers and he kept up with Aaron Rodgers. He didn't put up amazing stat lines, but he made the throws when he had to make the throws. Um going back to Sunday, there was a ball placement and I believe it was to Brandon Ayuk when Brandon Ayuk got to the two yard line right before we scored. He could, have, he could have put the ball high, right at Brandon Ayuk's chest, but that would have got him lit up by a safety. Instead, what I like the way he did is he went low, where only Brandon Ayuk could get it. So those little things were like, okay, he's worked on it. Again, Another pass to the sideline, I think, a Debo Samuel. Normally, he throws it very inside, very late. He anticipated the throw, even though they didn't prevent. He threw it to him where he'd catch it and get out of bounds. So those little things like, okay, CJ Bentford has worked on the things that I thought he needed to work on to be a good quarterback.
0: Good points. Good points. I agree with the ball placement on the IUK pass at the two yard line. It's a play I remember very vividly. And I agree with your assessment that he would have gotten lit up if that ball was not thrown low. Let's talk about the Dolphins a little bit. Like I said, they're a scrappy football team. They're not the New York Jets, they're not the New York Giants. This is a top three opponent the 49ers have faced this year along with the Cardinals and Eagles. And again, the 49ers have not beaten a team with a win yet. In many ways, they're fortunate that they have a 2-2 two and two record right now. Considering all the injuries, if they were to have a tougher first four games to the year, who knows where this team would be right now? Again, they have not beaten a team with a win. Now the Dolphins, the 1-3 and three Dolphins, are the first team They have an opportunity to beat because the Eagles didn't have a win going in the last week either. The Dolphins are the first team they have an opportunity to beat with the win. They are not necessarily good on either side of the ball, but they're not necessarily bad. They're in the middle of the road for the most part in most statistical categories on both sides of the ball. Talking about the offense, the 49ers offense, that is, what are some keys to the game? What do the 49ers have to do to have a successful day on the offensive side of the ball?
1: In order to uh, have a successful day on the opposite side of the ball, um, the Miami Dolphins have given up 128 rushing yards a game, which is um, pretty bad. Um, it's twenty first twenty first in the league. So I think the Forty Nine ers need to get their run game going right away. Um, their run game has been just hasn't really been here all season long, and that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback and Kyle's system because he likes to run the play action. He likes to run off of the run. So I think they need to get Raheem Oster back to allow the 49ers rushing offense to be what it once was the second best rushing offense in the NFL. Once they get that going, I think it makes it a lot easier on Jimmy. Um, the Miami Dolphins have, a, have given up a passer rating to a quarterbacks that they played against, 109 passer rating. That is a terrible pass rating to give up. So I think they need to utilize the run game and utilize the play action off of that to allow Jimmy Garoppolo to get comfortable early and pick apart this defense while rushing for 150 yards.
0: I agree with that. You stole some of my thunder there. Because for me, the key to this game is getting the ground game going early and often. Raheem Mostert's not for sure playing this Sunday, but like Jimmy Garoppolo, he was limited in practice, and that's an encouraging sign towards him playing. I want to see more guys get involved on the ground game. Jarek McKinnon. The entire first half, he was like the only running back on the field. Where was Jeff Wilson Jr.? I want to see more running backs get into the mix. I don't want Raheem Mostert to have 15, 18 carries or Jarek McKinnon to have 15, 18 carries. I would love to see the 49ers run the ball 27, 30 times and have nine, three guys have nine or 10 carries. Let's see Jeff Wilson Jr. And Jermichael Hasty. if they split, if there's five running backs active, including Kyle Juszczyk, I would love to see Hasty get five touches then Jeff Wilson Jr. get five touches. And then split 20 touches between Jarek McKinnon and Raheem Mostert. I want to see more guys get involved in the ground game. And Jimmy Garoppolo needs to get outside the pocket. We'll see what his mobility looks like, but they have to make sure he's not getting hit. And the best way to do that is you have to move him out, get creative on those play actions. And When the run game's going, those play actions are much more effective. And the run's going to set up the pass. That's what the 49ers have. That's how they found most of their success going back to last year, having the run set up the pass. And occasionally you see Jimmy Garoppolo just burn teams with his arm, like the Saints game, for example. But the ground game's got to get going. It's struggled the last couple weeks, really ever since Raheem Mostert has been hurt. And the offensive line has not been run blocking well.
1: Yeah, I I would say you're dead on. The offensive line hasn't been run blocking well, but there's times or, where they... Or pass blocking. <laughs> yeah, they, have, they haven't <laughs> been good at all. They really haven't. If we look at the offensive line in, in general, they haven't been good. But they've been they, there's some times where there's big holes, but Jarek McKinnon doesn't have the explosiveness, explosiveness that Raheem Mostert has, so he doesn't pick up mm. the 40-yard touchdown runs that Mostert's capable of doing. So when I look at Raheem Mostert, he's the key to the 49ers offense because his speed is something you can't replace. And yeah, for me, that's the difference the 49ers are lacking on offense because Absolutely. Raheem Mostert turns a small hole into a 90-yard touchdown. And I think that's what Kyle is missing. He can't, he can't replicate the speed. He, yeah. could replicate he could ad- replicate George Kittle getting open, but not the same of Raheem Mostert.
0: Yeah, and you nailed it right there because Kyle Shanahan, the offensive wizard. He can mask not having George Kittle in certain ways. He can mask starting a backup quarterback in certain ways. But Raheem Mostert's one of the fastest guys in the NFL. He's been the fastest ball carrier this season. And there's just no way you can replicate it. It's the most cliche coaching saying there is. You can't teach speed. You can't coach speed. Raheem Mostert has it and it can't be replicated, and he arguably is one of the most, if not the most important skill position player on this team because the run game just gets bottled up more often than not without Raheem Oster than with him.
1: Of course, and even if the run game does get bottled up early and often, if they, if they can't get the run game going, I'm not worried because the Miami Dolphins, their, their pass game is really bad. Um, they're, I believe, 28th in the league against the pass, giving up like 285 yards per game. That's pretty bad. So if the 49ers have to rely on Jimmy Garoppolo, I think he's going to be more than capable of doing so because the Miami Dolphins aren't that great against the pass.
0: I want to spend some time talking about the offensive line. It was a very rough go for the majority of the offensive line against the Eagles with the exception of Ben Garland. Ben Garland had a pretty solid game. But if you look at Trent Williams, he gave up sacks. He had bad penalties. Mike McGlinchey was getting beat frequently. Lincoln Tomlinson's been getting beat. Dan Brunskill's been getting beat very, very bad. If the 49ers have another poor offensive line performance this game against the Dolphins, and there's some guys on that defensive line. They have Wilkins, the first round pick last year, I want to say, from Clemson. They signed Kyle Van Noy this offseason, Emmanuel Ogba, but they don't have the same defensive line talent that the Eagles have. So if the offensive line struggles this week, do you start to look into making some lineup changes?
1: I don't. I don't.
0: Um only reason
1: being is my offensive line needs to play through what's going on. There needs to be continuity. And when you start substituting guys in, like, for example, we throw in McKivitt in at a guard. Now he, he and McGlinchy need to create a chemistry. On when they're stunning against him. Now, Brunskill and McGlinchey are kind of creating that through struggles. It might not be looking nice, all pretty, but they're going through a struggle that you can't really replicate in practice because they're seeing different type of looks in game days, different type of um, slants and cr- come arounds and everything. So for me, I would keep the same offensive line until Richburg comes. If Richburg comes and they are still struggling on that right side, after a game, then I, then I make a move. But I can't do it yet until Richburg is there because Richburg is going to help out. the. I'm going to call Brunskill a rookie because he didn't play guard last year. So this is pretty much him being a rookie at guard. So I'm going to wait for Richburg to come back before I make a move.
0: I have a counter argument here to what you said about the continuity. So last year, the 49ers lost both Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. You had Justin School playing along and Dan Brunskill playing alongside Lincoln Tomlinson and Mike Person. And the 49ers went undefeated with all the shifting going around along their offensive line. So if Mike McGlinchey, I understand he was your first round pick in 2018. This is his third season. He was voted a team captain. But if he continues to struggle, that's something the team needs to eventually look into. But I think we're a ways away from seeing that right now. Center and right guard are the positions that the team will more than likely do something if they need to do something with sooner because the roster politics involved with sitting or benching McGlinchey, who was a team captain, your first round pick, just will not be a good look. So the two candidates to be shuffled around and moved out of the lineup are you. I don't even think it's Ben Garland actually. Ben Garland's been playing well. I think once Weston Richburg is healthy, you put Weston Richburg at center, you move Garland. To right guard, and you have across the board Trent Williams, Lincoln Tomlinson, Weston Richburg, Mike, um, excuse me, Ben Garland, and Mike McGlinchey. And then I would like to see Colton McKivitz get incorporated more and more. I mean, you spent a fifth round pick on him, but again, you brought up a good point about the continuity. We'll see if they opt to switch things up, but I think they'd be able to overcome that because we've seen it already last year with Justin School and Dan Brunskill subbing in at tackles
1: yeah you, you you bring up a great point because they did switch around at tackle with Justin School and Daniel Brunskill playing for a solid amount of the season but for me I think Justin School is a legit a legit left a tackle I mean he's a, a solid six seven it's a really good player um Daniel Brunskill for me is more of a tackle that they're trying to move inside so it's going to take him a little while he didn't get reps in 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 the offseason because he had to play center so his mechanics aren't all there so i still i think they're trying to allow him to play through his rust because you you know daniel brunskill and the whole fan base knows daniel brunskill is much better than when he's putting on the field right now Mm -hmm. so i think that's what it was i think that they they had allowed daniel brunskill and justin school to get reps at tackle So it didn't affect them as bad as it is right now because you're having a um, tackle who moved inside who then had to move into center for the 49ers to run practice to move back to guard. This is a little bit different mechanics. But Mike McGlinchey is the one who worries me because there's a few times that he goes to reach and he whiffs. But when I see him reach, there's a technique where you're trying to play action hard. So you're trying to fake the run hard. And when you do that, your whole body forward momentum goes. And if you miss, you're whiffing and you're going to whiff hard. So I think that they're going to try to not reach block like that much more because you've seen it with Trent Williams and you've seen it with Mike McGlinchey happen a few times. So I think the offensive line needs to talk to the O-line coach and say, hey, we don't like that because now you're putting us out of position and we're no longer in a set base to allow us to get in the chest. So it's going to be interesting to see.
0: Let's switch things over, talk about the defensive side of the ball, and let's start about the Dolphins offense. So there was some concerns for me personally going into this week whether or not the team would start Tua Tagovailoa for his first career NFL start. The reason that possibility concerned me because the 49ers can't contain mobile quarterbacks for the life of them. That concern was put to rest. Fitzpatrick is starting. We're going to see Fitzmagic on Sunday. And what concerns me about the Dolphins' offense is that they have a lot of speed. Arguably, it's one of the quickest teams the 49ers have faced that they're, as far as skill positions go. Obviously, there's no Kyler Murray quarterbacking, but if you look, you got Matt Breida. We all know how fast Matt Breida is. Then you got Grant and Parker and so many weapons. Williams, there's so many guys that the Dolphins have at the skill positions that aren't really talked about that have a lot of speed. Mike Kosicki, there's a lot of receiving threats that Fitzpatrick can throw to and for me a key to this game on the defensive side of the ball as I switch the banner over here is similar to what we've seen against the Giants and the Jets is keep everything in front of the defense don't get burned down the field Devontae Parker is a good wide receiver I think he's the second best he probably is for sure the second best wide receiver the 49ers are going to face through the first five weeks with DeAndre Hopkins being the best. Parker's no joke. You don't have Emmanuel Mosley. He hasn't practiced all week. Richard Sherman's still on IR, needs one more week. I'm concerned about that matchup. Who's going to guard Devontae Parker? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick feeds him the ball. And then you got to worry about Isaiah Ford out of the slot. And you have Grant, again, who's a big speed guy. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, for as old as he is, he's crafty with his movements, and he picks – I think he has over 100 rushing yards this year. He probably does. He's he's sneaky quick. He's just a veteran that can keep his team in games. I think that's the best way to describe Ryan Fitzpatrick, that he's just crafty. He's a crafty veteran that's not overly athletic, but he's deceptive in his movements, and he can really – Run the ball. I was watching the Seahawks game last week. Here's a third and 10. The Seahawks are doing a great job in the secondary. And Fitzpatrick, Magic, if you will, goes and picks up the first down with his legs. Like the guy's almost 40 years old. And he looks like he's just a young soul playing football, having so much fun. So that kind of concerns me because he's not a sitting duck in the pocket. He can really pick up first downs on his own. And it's crazy to think that I'm worried about containing Ryan Fitzpatrick, but just based on what we've seen over the course of the first four weeks of the season, don't get me wrong. Ryan Fitzpatrick's not going to beat the 49ers with his legs. But the bottom line is he can extend plays. The Dolphins have a lot of receivers that don't get talked about too much. And my personal defensive key to this game is keep everything in front of you. You can't get beat by the long ball because that's what killed the 49ers against the Eagles. Just that one long bomb which was very reminiscent to the touchdown that was thrown in the Steelers game last year. And aside from that touchdown, I don't remember the last time the 49ers really got burnt deep down the field like that. So for me, defensive key of the game, keep everything in front of you. Don't get burnt deep.
1: So I actually, when, when everyone started talking about, uh, we don't want Tua to play, I was actually hoping he played. It's kind of weird. Not me. No. The reason being (laughs) is because look, a rookie quarterback coming in to make his first career start. Yes, he's mobile. But now I could now as a defensive coordinator, I could disguise looks that this rookie has never seen at the NFL level. So, yeah, he's going to be the mobile, a little bit more mobile quarterback. But how mobile is he since he broke that hip? We haven't seen him since that hip fracture. Good so, point. for me, I was hoping he would be playing because he's a shorter quarterback and we have a big front D line with Javon Kinlaw and Armstead. Hands up, a little bit more batted passes. But also, like I said, Robert Sala has gotten creative this season, so I was hoping he would be playing Robert Sala with the some blitzes, and force him into some bad um, decisions. But with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you made a great point how he's that veteran quarterback who's really scrappy and knows how to keep his team in games. But Ryan Fitzpatrick also has a tendency to throw interceptions. He has a tendency to want to have this gunslinging mentality. Like if he's Brett Favre or if he's that quarterback, who's really good this season, he's already thrown five interceptions. So for me, the key to the game is to force Ryan Fitzpatrick into at least one bad decision. If you could win the turnover battle, which I think they should be able to win. I think you're, you're good because the, the Miami dolphins, their offense is good but it's not great enough to keep up if they get behind. And they've shown that once they get behind, they start to struggle. So I think that's going to be the key to the game.
0: Going back to that gunslinging mentality of Fitzpatrick, that at the same time, it kind of worries me because yes, he's going to turn the ball over, but just the fact that he plays with that swagger, that sort of edginess, like, yes, I can push the ball wherever I want it to, wherever I want it to go. That's sometimes translates into lucky plays happening down the field. And we've seen it already this season. And again, the Dolphins have receivers capable of making big plays down the field. They have a lot of speed guys. But that same recklessness that Fitzpatrick plays with often hurts the Dolphins, hurts himself because he's turning the ball over. I like to see the 49ers get a lot of pressure on Sunday. Austin Jackson, I believe it's Austin Jackson, the first round or second round pick out of USC left tackle there's two rookies starting on the dolphins offensive line and jackson's out this week i i got confused austin jackson was also a baseball player remember Mm -hmm. austin jackson on the so i'm 95 percent certain the jackson that got drafted out of usc is also austin jackson but anyway there's solomon kinley as well a guard from georgia there's a lot of youth and and inexperience on that dolphins Offensive line and Fitzpatrick's only been sacked six times this year. So he's only getting sacked a time and a half per game. And I want to see Robert Sala continue to blitz Fred Warner on those stunts. Kawan Williams won't play this week. He's likely headed to IR, but I want to see Jamar Taylor, if he's playing in the slot, keep blitzing from that position. Keep sending Jimmy Ward on those free safety blitzes. So I want to see the 49ers hit Fitzpatrick, force turnovers, keep everything in front of them. And let's talk a little bit of Matt Breida. So I was doing some research on Breida today. Through the first four games of the season, throughout his four-year career, he is in the midst of his lowest touches ever through four games. He had more touches as an undrafted rookie in 2017 than he does three years later as a four-year vet through the first four games. Why do the Dolphins trade for Breda if they're just going to keep him on the sidelines? And could you, could we expect to see a Matt Breda revenge game?
1: So for me, that's an interesting stat just to say that he's only had 22 touches through the first four games because he's an electric, he's a speedy back. So it's really interesting, but I think it goes to, to show who the the Miami Dolphins have. They have Jordan Howard, and they also have Miles Gaskin. So, yes, they brought in Matt Breida for a fifth-round pick, but I think that fifth-round pick, when they had so many draft picks, it was a um, a safe pick because you know what you're getting in Matt Breida, but they also didn't have Jordan Howard signed. So, for me, I think Matt Breida is not going to have that revenge game that he hopes he has because he's not going to get as many touches. But if he does get into the open field, watch out, because he is the one of the fastest players in the NFL with the ball in his hand in the last five years.
0: So I have two things I'm going to throw in here. One, I just went back and did my research. Yes, the Dolphins' rookie left tackle is Austin Jackson. And yes, there was a baseball player who may have retired within the last couple of years, Austin Jackson as well. So there's many Austin Jacksons in the sports world. Second thing, there's a second running back on the Miami Dolphins, who you may not have heard of, that was with the 49ers during training camp that was just activated from the practice squad, Selvon Ahmed, who is a player that I had the pleasure of interviewing over the course of the off season when he signed with the 49ers as an undrafted free agent. He's going to be on the, Dolphins 53-man roster, it's unknown whether or not he'll be active on Sunday, but if he is, that's another name to watch out for. He had a very strong year at the University of Washington, great guy, a guy that I'm pulling for. So you have Matt Breida and Sylvan Ahmed, two former 49ers who could potentially both be suiting up for the Dolphins on Sunday. Let's say the 49ers lose this game. Again, the Dolphins have played three playoff caliber teams, three teams that were playoff teams in 2019 in the Patriots, the bills and the Seahawks. They lost to all three of those teams by less than 10 points, 10 points or less. So the dolphins have it in them. They have that scrappiness to them. Let's say they pull off the upset. The 49ers are two and three. Where is your panic level? If this game is lost.
1: Well, first off, I want to say, I haven't heard about the Salvin Ahmed, the breaking news. So, thanks for breaking that news on today's episode. That's pretty yeah. awesome, Nick. So, um,
0: I'll, I'll give a little backstory there. So, Selvon Ahmed, his agent, Henry Organ, it also represents Kendrick Bourne and Henry, Kendrick Bourne, Selvan Ahmed's agent, and I built this relationship through the interview process where I interviewed Selvon. So, Henry's the one that let me know that Ahmed is active this upcoming Sunday, or he'll be on the 53-man roster. So I had the little inside scoop there. I had the inside source to that story. But back to what we're talking about as far as the panic meter goes, how are you feeling if the 49ers walk away from this Sunday 2-3? and three?
1: If they walk away 2-3, and three, um, I think they still make a strong push to make the playoffs, but I don't think they make the playoffs and I'm going to be 100% honest, the NFC is a stacked NFC right now. We just saw the the Chicago Bears win last night, Well, tonight, which is Thursday. Um, And that puts another team in the playoff hunt. So now we have about eight to nine teams looking to make the playoffs. We have four in our division alone. Three will most likely make it. There'll be one that falls off. Then you have the Saints. You have Tampa Bay. You have the Bears, the Packers. So there's about 10 teams in in the NFC. So the 49ers cannot afford to fall two and three because then they have a right away, they have a divisional opponent, the Los Angeles Rams. So if you're two and three heading into that Rams game, you can end up being two and four.
0: So this is where I stand. I spent a decent amount of time this week thinking about this scenario. If there's a point where the 49ers fall two games under 500 before the, tra- the trade deadline, excuse me, I'm looking to move players. I'm looking to see if there's a team that's struggling with a secondary, a playoff contender that wants to have Richard Sherman, who's in a contract year for one season, to close out the year for a playoff push. I'm even checking to see if a team would be willing to give up a first round pick for Trent Williams. Trent Williams plays left tackle, a premium position. If a team floated the idea of giving the 49ers a first round pick for Trent Williams in the team's two games under 500, again, this is with the scenario being the 49ers are two games under 500 around the trade deadline. They should absolutely be sellers. They should be pawning off all of their players that contracts are set to expire, looking at Tevin Coleman, looking at Trent Williams, looking at Richard Sherman. You can probably get a first round pick for Trent Williams. You can probably get a third, fourth, fifth round pick for Richard Sherman, probably third or fourth. Tevin Coleman, probably a fifth round pick. There's so many free agents set to hit the market where I don't think the 49ers are going to bring back Richard Sherman anyway. So why not trade him if you're two games under 500 by the trade deadline? So that's just my take where if the 49ers lose this game to the Dolphins and then before the trade deadline, if they're ever two games under 500, you look to start rebuilding for your future because it's going to be a quick bounce back. Once Nick is back and you get some of these other guys back from injury, there's cornerstones all over this team on both sides of the ball. So Trent Williams is the tricky one because he plays left tackle and you're more than likely going to have to invest. In a left tackle in the draft, but this is what I was thinking. What if the 49ers traded Trent Williams, the team rents him for a year, and then he comes back and signs as a free agent because there's no contract extension involved. So that's just uh, some sort of off-season mumbo jumbo or in season trade deadline stuff that's been roaming through my head. Like, should the 49ers look to sell if they're two games under 500 by the trade deadline? And again, that's unlikely, but if they lose to the Dolphins and they lose to the Rams or the Patriots or the Seahawks or any of their other, other tougher opponents coming up, then that scenario may exist.
1: I really, really like what you just said right now. If the 49ers get a first-round pick and they're under two games under five hundred for Trent Williams, I think they could get a little bit more. I think they get a first and like a fourth.
0: No. Yes. They just gave up a third, but we'll see. Maybe.
1: They give up a third and a fifth. Yeah. So you you could get a, you could get a first and a fourth back because he is one of the elite left tackles in the NFL. So if they could do that, I'm all for it because I'm a big Justin School fan. I'm a big Justin <laughs> School, and I think he's capable of being a left tackle in the NFL right now. Um, so if they were to trade him away, I would say perfect. You you have a left tackle who is on his third year, um, rookie deal. Um, he's not going to cost the elite money that Trent Williams is going to be because he's not going to be elite but he's going to be a very reliable left tackle, potentially right tackle if Michael Gensley keeps playing bad. So yep. now you have you don't have to worry about $20 million on a left tackle. Now you could use $20 million on other people. We have yep. a really bad secondary. Hey, Jalen Ramsey, I'm picking up J- the
0: phone. Well, see, you know what? I I'll, No one corrected me when I said that, but I'm going to stop you right there. Jalen Ramsey signed a $100 million contract extension in September, and I said the same thing. I, I forgot the, he signed that. I said the exact same well, I forgot too. And I said the exact same thing during the All 49ers Sports Illustrated show. And I was reading the comments, like Jalen Ramsey signed. I was like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. Yes, he signed one of the richest contracts for a cornerback ever. But there are other premium positions out there next offseason where you're looking at edge rushers. Vaughn Miller has a club option. Will the Broncos bring him back after his injury? Who knows? Shaq Barrett. There's a lot of guys. Allen Robinson, Keenan, there's a good amount of guys that could step in and contribute on the 49ers where you wouldn't necessarily think that they'd have the cap space to spend this money on these type of guys. But anyway, we're week five right now. We're talking about the offseason. Let's get back on track, close things out, talking about the Dolphins, final score predictions as we conclude every show. What is your score prediction this Sunday against the Dolphins? Man, I can't believe
1: I forgot Jalen Ramsey signed that massive deal. It's, I, I did.
0: I, I did the same thing. Don't worry about it.
1: Um, score prediction: The Miami Dolphins have given up quite a few points each game they played. Um. So I'm gonna go. I want to go. Man, this is one of those ones where I, I feel the Miami Dolphins could score some points, but also feel our defense is really well. So I'm gonna go 31. I'm going 31-20. They win by 11
0: points. I like that score. I feel like this is the same score I keep saying every single week or somewhere in the ballpark. I'm going Niners 27, Dolphins 17. So that's what I have. Marco and I, we both have the Niners winning this game, so there won't be a fire sale. Let me be very clear that trade scenarios we talked about were strictly if the team was two games under 500 around the trade deadline. If they beat the Dolphins, then that most likely won't be the case. But we're just talking about hypothetical scenarios. But the bottom line, we see Jimmy Garoppolo playing this Sunday. We see the 49ers walking away with the win, 3-2, and as they prepare to play the Rams, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Saints, the Rams again, the Bills, all in consecutive weeks. Over the course of the eight weeks, they have a bye mixed in between the Saints and Rams game. So that's a tough stretch coming up.
1: One thing I want to say is the Miami Dolphins have given up 31 points in three consecutive weeks. This could be the week we finally see the 49ers offense get going in a perfect time because they're going to face the, the Rams. Like you said, the Rams, the Patriots, all those big teams that are really good. And they're going to need their offense to be clicking on all cylinders. So hopefully this is the game they find their run game and Jimmy Garoppolo looks comfortable throwing to all the targets he
0: has. Absolutely. This concludes the ninth podcast of the Faithful Fanatic. Thank you guys for tuning in.